Come on, can we give a wave offering to the Lord? Father, we, we lift our hands like the blades of grass, like the trees of the field. You're worthy. Even our bodies are instruments of praise. You're worthy. We thank you, Lord, for giving us life and breath. We're not ashamed of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Will you take a moment, smile at somebody, welcome somebody, introduce yourself to somebody. I'm Lance, pastor here at Falls Church. Glad you're here. Making worship to the Lord corporately important. Okay, I won't read all of this card, but it's there's a Mountain Dew here with a Mounds candy bar on there, and it says, Happy Pastor's Appreciation. But I do like the first sentence that I'll share that's not personal. Thank you for the mounds of things you do. <laughs> nice, Bethany. Nice. Appreciate the creativity. Keep it coming. Hey, I'm going to turn this over to Todd Marshall right away. He His ministry is called Worship is Life. We've had a relationship over the past few years working with Laura, our team, just working with our, caring about our church in general. And uh, Todd left uh, at a very established church, I think one of the largest United Assembly churches in th- our country. And uh, one of the – it's United Assembly is kind of a sem- – Yeah, Fellowship Christian Assemblies is kind of like a – has a lot common theologically with the Assemblies of God, but it's more Canadian, right? Are they stronger in Canada than U.S.? Okay, back when I was a kid, 100 years ago. Okay, anyway, so, but uh, Todd and I worked together for years on staff together. We're youth pastors in Minnesota together, and then on the same church staff for a few years together. It was a short three years, but it was a really good three years. And then he went out to out there somewhere in that asphalt jungle, you know, like Brooklyn, Manhattan, Long Island. It's all the same to us, isn't it? All that. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, he was out there. I never got out there during your time while you were there. We never visited their church, did we, Joan? And yet you came all the way to the. West Coast and visited us once in Olympia, Washington. So I owe you. I owe you. I'll try to get over to St. Paul now. My daughter lives in Hopkins. That's a lot further east. So I'll try to make it over there sometime. But anyway, Todd's here and he's a friend of Falls Church. So will you welcome him? And he's going to take part one and part two today. We've had this on the calendar for all year. So excited Todd's here. Say something exciting, sound excited, sound awake, excited. He says a few years, but it was 1990, and Brenda and I were serving as music and youth pastors in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, and Pastor Lance and Joan were serving as youth pastors in Little Falls, Minnesota, and Laura Williams, then Glevy, was a student in my youth group. She was probably in eighth grade about that time, and there was a huge annual music conference in Minnesota called Music Minnesota, 
that was hosted by Northwestern Bible College. And I can't even remember how this happened, but somehow our youth group got asked to premiere a brand new musical by Wayne Watson called Room 77. And if you really want to kick and see her extensively, um, you could go on YouTube and look for Room 77 and see the entire, uh, the entire uh, premiere of that musical. But I'm going to give you just a little glimpse into that time frame. So here's the Wrench family just a couple years after that time. Look at the zoom in. Look at him go. This guy knows IT. Here's me and Brenda in 1990. That is, that is not a shadow on the wall. That is my hair. Okay. <laughs> that is my hair. And then here's Laura right around that time. So us three go back 30 years together. Isn't that amazing? That's just like so cool. Just had to share that with you. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Let's see if we can switch over now. This is the first time. Yes. 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 So we, yes, we go back way back. So we went to Bible college together, and then we got connected through uh, uh, youth camp where he would be rec director, and I'd be leading all the music, and we caused all kinds of trouble together, and Mark Dean still hasn't forgiven us for that, but we, uh, yeah, we've just been great friends for a long time, and we had a great night together last night. I'll show you a little story later on about our dinner, but... Um, so here's what I'm going to do in this first section. I'm first, yeah, first section. I'm just going to give you, um, a, hopefully, a 10-minute version of Worship Is Life. So this would be just um, kind of those of you who've heard my main message before. Just a recap of that. For those of you who haven't, I'm going to give you some insights here on what we're saying uh, when I say Worship Is Life. So I want to start by us saying this very well-known verse together. Um, <laughs> of course. Okay, so Jeff, what do I need to do? Because I'm not connected. What? This is what happens when we go back and forth between pro presenter and my program. Great. And are you able to get rid of that? Perfect. So let's say this very well-known verse together. Ready? Here we go. There is nothing new under the sun. So this verse is so well-known, and such a true statement that this phrase is actually said all over the world. There's nothing new under the sun. And when I look at the book of Ecclesiastes through the lens of worship as life, here's how I would, this is one way I would summarize uh, this verse right here. The purpose of life has been the same since the dawn of humanity. And the struggle to fulfill the purpose of life has been the same since the dawn of humanity. That is what I believe the author is saying in the whole book. He has a couple summary statements. We'll say the other one at the very end. But there's nothing new under the sun. And so when we look at this phrase, worship is life, there's lots of different ways we can say this. It's actually... When I think of this phrase, worship is life, it's actually um, when Paul says pray without ceasing, that word pray is just describing ways of engaging with God. When we hear the phrase live in the spirit, 
Who's the Spirit? The Spirit is God, staying connected. So worship is life is just another way of saying God invites us to stay engaged with Him for fulfilling the purpose of life. And another way I would unpack that is, well, let me say this. There's two questions that I ask to help people get tracking where I'm going here, and that is this. What is the connection between a worship service and a life of worship, and why does it matter? What is the connection between a worship service and a life of worship, and why does it matter? What is happening in this moment here as we gather together that we are invited to connect as soon as we stand up out of these chairs and walk out those doors? And this is one way I would unpack that. The relational dynamic that happens between us and God when we gather to worship together is the same relational dynamic in which God invites us to live. And why does that matter? Because when we live our lives engaged in relationship with God, then this is when He can work through us to touch His world and grow His kingdom. So that's a little way to summarize the phrase, worship is life. Now, when we think about our word, you know, words are very powerful, which is why we're instructed and taught to be very careful about how we use them. And then words change, you know, definitions over time. Words change. Words are just crucial in forming who we are and how we live. So words are critical. The word worship over the last 50 years has evolved to this point because of the way we use the word to become very equivalent to the idea of our singing time. So we try to use language to to break that box open, but the reality is that word has given us that idea so strongly that all over the world, and I've been there, believe me, I've been all over the world teaching this, and whenever you hear the word worship, most people think about our times of music and song. In other words, when someone says, let's stand and worship together, most people assume we are going to engage in the activity of singing songs. That's where the language of our word worship has taken us. The word worship is found in the scriptures nearly 200 times. Now, that probably doesn't surprise anybody. But how many times do you think the word worship is found in the context of music and singing in the Bible? Do you think maybe 50 times? Maybe 25 times? It's only five times, not even 17 times. Five times. So that means that God's idea of worship is much deeper and much broader than our idea of worship. So as I have studied these passages where we find the word worship, for me, as I look at the context of these passages, for me, there's one word that jumps out that kind of encapsulates encapsulates what I would say would be God's description of worship. In other words, if you had to bring it down to 
one word. And if I asked you, if we took time right now, and if I asked you to come up with, if you had to say one word, worship equals, what would the one, you would all say different kinds of words. And some of you may even say this word, but I believe this word captures it. And all of our other words come under the umbrella of this word. And that would be this, worship equals relationship. Let's all say that together. Worship equals relationship. Say it again. Worship equals relationship. God always looks through the lens of relationship. Everything God does is in the context of relationship. Even when we look at what we have labeled as commands, all of God's commands are in the context of relationship. We can just start by looking at the Ten Commandments. The first four commands are in the context of how to do relationship with God, and the last six commands are in the context of how to do relationship with others. Relationship with God, relationship with others. Now, when God finally came to us in the flesh, in the person of Yeshua the Messiah, who we call Jesus the Christ, by that time, the Jewish leaders had already added hundreds of commands to the commandments. I mean, hundreds of commands, thousands, thank you. So it was very common for the Jewish leaders to sit around and argue about what were the greatest commands. And so one day a leader came to Jesus and said, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, the first is worship God with your whole being, and the second is worship everyone else, or worship, love, love the Lord your God with your whole being, and then love everyone else as yourself. And then in that discourse, he makes two stunning statements. The first one is this. He says, the second command is the same as the first. The second is the same as the first. In other words, they work in tandem. They are the same command. To love God is to love others, and to love others is to love God. That is a stunning, stunning statement. And it's just like, Really, Lord? I really, if I'm going to love you, I really have to love like everybody else? Seriously? I mean, if it wasn't for others, we'd all get along with everybody, right? But that's what, that is a stunning statement. And then he makes this statement. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, relationship with God, relationship with others. And I would submit to you that this is what God calls worship, loving him and with his help, loving others. And so I'm going to make a statement that may sound stunning, and that is this. We worship God best when we love others. Can we all say that together? We worship God best 
when we love others. Say it again. We worship God best when we love others. So let's take this just briefly and move this into what is the connection? What is the connection between a worship service and a life of worship? And I would submit that the connection is the pattern in which God does relationship. God does relationship in a pattern, just like everything else he does is in patterns. We talked about that last time. But God does relationship in this pattern, and we're going to call this pattern revelation and response. Everyone say that. Revelation and response. God reveals himself to us and invites us to respond to him, and then God responds to us. So this is the pattern in which we flow when we come together. We minister in different ways throughout our service in this pattern. Why? To be formed in how to live our lives out of this relational pattern. God is always showing himself, always speaking. And as we engage and do our part in the relationship, as we look for him, as we listen for him, and as we respond to him, then he responds to us, and this is how God works through us to grow his kingdom. And, and boy, we could, just, we could just give so many examples. I'll just give you one tiny little example from last night. So last night, we were having dinner at Minerva's. Boy, I wish I could tell you the engagement story right now, but I don't have time to do that. We were having dinner at Minerva's, and... Um, one of the things that God has revealed himself for us to do as a family is that whenever we are in a restaurant where we are being served by someone is when it comes time to uh, her to take the menus away after or him after receiving the order, I just simply say or one of us simply says, we're going to say a blessing over our meal. Is there anything in your life that could use a blessing right now? So our server last night was Michelle. Um, how old do you think Michelle was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we were, uh, so she was taking the menu's way. I said, Michelle, we're going to say a blessing over our meal. Uh, anything in your life that could use a blessing? And she was like, there was just a couple seconds of, like, she was trying to process what was going on in the moment. And she just said, thank you so much for asking. That is the first time in 20 years as working as a server that anybody has ever asked me that. And then she shared something in her life, something personal in her life, and then she's like, she's like, oh, I'm going to get all misty here. And then she just walked, and then she just walked away. But in that moment, in that moment, all of a sudden, this woman is sensing and experiencing, um, for lack of a better word, love that is flowing from God through us to her. And that's just like a normal moment in life where we have acknowledged and welcomed God into the situation. We've responded to his word, and then in that moment, he responds, and she has this sense. Now, what is that going to result in? I don't know. I, I, it, that, that's not my role. My role is to stay engaged with God, to acknowledge him and welcome him and allow him to flow through me to touch his world and to grow his kingdom. So let me just give you a little insight. This is just the last little insight in part one here. Just a little in, insight into, you know, why has our singing time uh, become so uh, equated with the word worship? Well, 
one of the one of the insight the main insights is this. Yes, only five times is the word worship in the context of music and singing in the scriptures, but over 120 times the scriptures tell us to sing. Sing. Sing about God. Sing to God. Sing for God. Why? Well, I would submit that God knows that singing about Him, singing to Him, singing for Him, singing our response to Him is one of the most effective and powerful ways to engage in this relational pattern of revelation response because every lyric that we sing in every song is either a lyric of revelation or a lyric of response or it's revelation that's implying response or it's response that's implying revelation so all so all of our lyrics are about god who he is what he's done what he's calling us to do and then their response to him i love you i praise you i need you i serve you i obey you i bow my life before you so the lyrics of our songs are bringing us and then as we engage as we engage we are stepping into that relational pattern. And when we do, God responds. And then if you, when you add the power, the mysterious power of the impact that music has on our whole entire being, then all of a sudden we together start to respond. And what happens when we respond? Well, then God responds. And so there is this sense of the, amplif- the amplification of God's presence. And I'm going to invite the musicians to come up right now as we're going to engage in this very activity right now that we do every week. And, it's, and, and we do it every week because for that reason, it is one of the most powerful, effective ways to engage into God's relational pattern. But it is only one. of me- We're engaging in the pattern right now. God's revealing, I'm speaking, you're hearing, you're responding right where you're sitting. You're not saying a word, but you're responding. You're processing, you're thinking, your being is responding to the words that you are hearing. So we're in, that, in this pattern. We're always in this pattern, we're all, and we're always invited to live in this pattern. So it's just this beautiful pattern that God has that he gives to us. And then in the net, what we're going to do here, so let me just show this last slide to... Um, Summarize this. Oh, never mind. I don't have it on slide. So, worship equals relationship. Relationship is the purpose of life. Worship is life. Relationship is the purpose. And what's the struggle of purpose? The struggle is to stay engaged with God so that we can have Him help us love everybody around us. So let's uh, let's stand together. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Hmm. Excuse me? Um, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah, revelation. Revelation lyric. I was just trying to think if there was any implication of a response in there. Could imply, could, yeah, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah, so it's a, a de- the declaration implies a response. Yeah. See how that works? Isn't that cool? Um, all right, so we are going to springboard off that song and talk about what lies 
at the core of our relationship with God. Because relationship with others, for relationship with others to be healthy long-term, I'm fairly convinced that can only happen with God's help. So what lies at the core of relationship with God, let's see if I'm still connected here, is this word here, identity. Um, so this is so we're going to spend our, our next little time here with identity. But before that, let me do a little commercial. Um, and actually, so my book, the subtitle of my Worship is Life book is this, Finding Our Identity in the Story of Worship. Finding Our Identity in the Story of Worship. Because identity is what lies at the core of relationship with God. It's a very mysterious reality. It's mystery, but it's reality. And also, just as you heard me talk in my language about acknowledging God and welcoming God and then engaging in God, we have these little magnets that have our living in awe of God um, on there, acknowledge, welcome, engage. And so those are available for you. Actually, those are free if uh, you'll just trade us an email that we can uh, allow you to keep tabs on us. I also want to let you know that that song I led, How Could I Love Another, that I led last month. So that is from my son, and it is on his brand-new album. And these CDs just came in the mail yesterday. So you are the first group of people that has the opportunity to pick one of these up. Nine songs. His album release concert is actually next month uh, with all these songs. And they'll be available on in digital three or four weeks, but if you like CDs, this one is going to be for Pastor Lance and his wife, but we have nine more if you're interested. Um, and then I also want to let you know about our latest Worship is Life resource. It is um, a children's book called My First Worship. We call it Worship is Life for Kids. It's designed for your youngest, youngest children, um, all reading it over them all the way up to five years old and even an easy reader for first grade, second grade. And it's just we partnered with a friend of ours from our church in New York to help him publish this. So beautifully illustrated. And the language is just full of helping our kids understand um, how they can engage with God all throughout their day, which translates into engaging with others. So I want to let you know that's available but let's talk about this mysterious reality of identity. If you look up the definition of identity in a dictionary, you'll find that something that says something like this. Identity, the fact of being who a person is. The fact of being who a person is. So this person has determined who they have an idea of who they are, and they are being that person. They are living as that person that they think they are, and that is a fact. Like, that is fact to them. Like, whoever they are being, whether it's healthy, unhealthy, whatever, in that moment to them, that is a fact for them. Maybe they need their facts to be changed, but at the moment, that is the fact, and they are being that person, or another way to say it is the essence of who you truly are. The essence of who you truly are. It really is mysterious in one sense, 
but it's very real when we start. It's, for me, trying to get a grasp on identity, it's been easier for me to do that by looking, trying to discover the places where I'm finding identity where I shouldn't be. And another way that's helped me is choose some other words that help be a measuring point to that. Words like fulfillment, contentment, peace, all of those things the world would call happiness. Finding fulfillment, finding contentment, finding peace so you can be happy. So a measuring rod for where you're looking for identity is asking yourself, where am I looking for fulfillment? Where am I looking for contentment? Where am I looking for peace? And that will give you an idea of where you are placing your identity, who you are. So I don't know uh, if you've uh, noticed this, but I have, that a lot of popular movies are focused on identity, or identity is at least a piece of that movie, and especially when it comes to Disney movies. We're not going to take time to go through them all, but we could go through a long list of Disney movies that are screaming identity. But we are going to look at one of those very popular movies, and that is this one, The Incredibles. Um, this movie is full of identity, but I just want to point out a couple things here. There's one point where the mom, Helen, Elastigirl, is talking to her kids, and she makes this statement to them. Your identity is your most valued possession. Like, that is a stunningly true statement in the heart of a Disney movie. Your identity is your most valued possession. Little side note here. So, Lauren Daigle, her song, You Say, has just broken the record for Christian songs being number one the most weeks in a row, 62 weeks in a row as the number one song, number one Christian song. And guess what that song is all about? Identity. The entire song is all about identity and her wrestling and and. and, and and it's number one for so long because people, that's, that is what is at the core of life. That is what is at the core of the purpose of life because the core of the purpose of life is relationship with God and relationship with others. And relationship with God starts with where we find our identity. Now, I want to point out one of the classic characters from The Incredibles, and that is Edna Mode. Edna Mode. So there is a scene where Helen, Elastigirl, is with Edna Mode, and they're trying to figure out where the husband, Mr. Incredible, Bob, is. And Edna asks Helen, do you know where he is? And Helen goes, well, of course I know where he is. Of course I know. I, I know where the, f yes, I know where he is. And then Edna swooshes around in her swivel chair and gives her this look right here and says, do you know where he is? 
And Helen's like, and she had to go make a phone call. And what I'm saying to you today is, do you know who you are? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Do, do you know where your identity? Of course, I know where my. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? So, a very common statement we would make as Christians is, our identity is in. Thank you for giving the right answer. Our identity is in Christ. Very simple statement, right? Very true statement. Very statement that we should be able to explain and understand and live in, right? It's, it's interesting. Just a few months ago, Brendan and I uh, were, by the way, sorry, babe. My wife's here. <laughs> Hi, Brenda. Good morning. Um, so we were having lunch with a couple that was actually from that same youth group. And he was one of the main stars, main characters in Room 77. And we were talking about identity. And he's just like, I mean, this guy is like a solid, committed, faithful layperson all these decades, youth leader. He's like, identity in Christ, what does that even mean? Were his words to me just a few months ago. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? Identity in Christ, what does that even mean? And so finding these words to help us ask these questions, um, we're going to come back to that. But again, looking at like the, I don't know if I want to call it the negative side or the dark side, it just it helps us kind of figure out where this identity thing is. So there are three identity lies, and we're going to look at them right now. These are the three identity lies. Everyone say these with me. Ready? Here we go. I am what I do. I am what others think of me. I am what I have. Okay? These are three identity lies. Now, these are very fascinating for a few different reasons. Here's a couple of them. For one... Every one of us in this room is vulnerable to all three of these lies, okay? But each one of us is more vulnerable to one of them than the other two. We're all vulnerable to all three of them, but each one of us is more vulnerable to one of them than the others, depending on how you're wired and how your personality is and how your upbringing is. You're going to be more vulnerable to one of them than the other. And then the other interesting thing is, as you'll see as we talk about this, is that they're, they're all interwoven together as well. I mean, you can start talking about one thing. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's what I do. Oh, yeah, but it's also kind of connected to what others think. Oh, but it's also, so they're, they're all kind of connected too. So it's very fascinating. But we're going to start looking at these three because these, where we see these three lies are from the three temptations of Jesus. So Jesus has his identity confirmed during his baptism, God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well placed. This is my Son. This is my child. His identity confirmed. And then he goes into the wilderness to have his identity challenged, and Lucifer comes to him with these three identity lies. The first one is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. If, hello, challenge word, 
if you are who he was just told that he was, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do, do, I am what I do. Do this act. Take an act, take a doing of your own ability to satisfy your own desires and meet your own need. Do this and you will be satisfied. I am what I do. Do this and you will be satisfied. Now let's get some crowd involvement here going. So give me different examples of places a person could be tempted to find their identity in what they do. Give me some examples. Job would be pretty much there <laughs> at the top of the list, right? What I do as my job, and this is across the board. This doesn't just, um, of course, we wouldn't even almost talk about this in today's uh, society, but before we would, you know, think of like, oh, that's just a guy thing. Um, but this, that's never been the case. I am what I do is across the board with gender, okay? I am what I do. Job, I am that. What do you, what, when you're making small talk with someone that maybe you've just met, what's one of the first questions you ask them? <laughs> or what's one of the first things they want to tell you about themselves, right? So I am what I do, my job. Something else, I am what I do. Parents, yeah, I do parenting, okay? I do parenting. I am, a, parenting is what I do. Good, someone else. School, yeah, schoolwork. I am a student. This is what I do. I do this. I am a student. Someone else. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, I do this. You can read about my own midlife crisis in my book when I left the church that Lance was talking about to do this. I left the house. I left the salary. I left the position. I left, I left it all. This is like, yeah, my meltdown was, was pretty drastic. As I was wrestling through, why do you think the subtitle of my book is Finding Your Identity in the Story of Worship? Absolutely. Uh, ministry. Even, even hobbies. Hobbies. Um, anyone here a musician? Anyone here an athlete? Anyone here some other kind of artist? Okay, so I am what I do. Huge, huge, huge uh, potential to find our identity. So, so watch this. Listen to this. We are created to receive a sense of accomplishment from what we do, okay? This is absolutely true. We are created to receive a sense of accomplishment from what we do, but we were never intended to find our fulfillment in what we do. And when we chase fulfillment from what we do is when we're chasing identity in what we do and not who we are as a child of God. We all need to do these things. We need to do them. We're blessed by doing it. We're, we're created to do them. We have gifts to offer up. There, we have to do. We have to do. But when we start chasing fulfillment in what we do, when we start chasing contentment in what we do, when we start chasing peace in what we do, we're finding our identity in what we do as opposed to finding our identity in our creator, our provider, our redeemer, our helper. And then out of that identity, 
being blessed with a sense of accomplishment in the things that he has called us to do for whatever season of life we're in. Lie number two, I am what others think of me. Matthew 4, 6, if, hello, challenge time, if, this is Lucifer again to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So right now they're at the top of the, the highest pinnacle of the temple is where they are right now. So there's people all over down there, like little grasshoppers walking around on the ground and in the temple courts and all the stuff. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So Lucifer is saying to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. All these people will see you falling, and then they will see who they will know you are the Son. They will think of you, wow, you must be the Son of God, because all of a sudden, Miraculously, the angels have kept you from going all the way down and splatting on the ground. Okay, so I am what others think of me. I am what others think of me. Oh, by the way, just to warn you, I'm going to ask you to get real vulnerable when I'm done. And for a show of hands, if you can identify what you think your number one lie is. Okay, so I can already tell you mine. I'm, I'm number one. I am what I do. Okay, that's my number one. All the other two I get nailed by as well. But number one for me is I am what I do. This is, I am what others think of me. So, let me hear some examples from you. What are areas we can get caught up in when we're concerned about what others think of me? Give me an example. Say that again. Pride. Can you, can you give me more specific? Pride because of, like, give me a, narrow that down to an example. Okay. Yeah, good. Yep, so accomplishment, so reputation, reputation, accomplishment, good, yep. Someone else? I am what others think of me. Peer pressure, okay, because, because if you don't go along, then you're not accepted, right? You're not accepted. So, so the peer pressure, which doesn't just happen with young people, happens with all of us. If we don't go along with the popular notion then what are people going to think of me and what's the results of that going to be? Good. What others think of me? Anxiety. Anxiety. There's one, like, real obvious one that I haven't heard come out. Um, and I don't want to put this, I don't want to make this a gender thing because it's not a gender thing, but are there any ladies here that go out in public and spend, like, only 30 seconds getting ready to what you're going to look like when you go out in public? Okay, so like, would you think that like appearance might be an example of uh, what others think of me? How we look physically? A lot of a lot of things that we have uh, examples that we've given already are about other ways that people think of us on how we look. But there's literally the physical appearance of how we look to others because of what others going to think. Like. If you were on a deserted island, would you spend an hour getting ready before you go out of your hut onto the beach? You know, probably not. You spend an hour getting ready because you're going out into society and you're concerned about what your appearance and what other people are going to think. And there's different layers and levels of that. But this whole idea of what others think of me. The third one and the final one is what I have. Matthew 4, 8 and 9. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, 
if you will bow down and worship me. Here is the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and you can have it all. You can have all you have to do is one teensy-weensy little thing. Just bow down and worship me, and you can have it all. I am what I have. Give me some examples of where we can get caught up in what we have. Money. Our children. Whoa. Home. Cars. Toys. Yeah, coming from a farmer, acres. Yes, I mean, with the list can go on and on and on and on and on. I am what I have. Okay, let me back up to the second one because I forgot to, to give you the summary, and then I'll give you the summary of the third one. I am what others think of me. We are created to receive a sense of acceptance in human relationship. But we were never meant to find our fulfillment in human relationship. When we chase fulfillment from human relationship is when we're chasing identity in human relationship and not who we are as a child of God. And with our third one, I am what I have, we are created. We are absolutely, we are absolutely created to receive a sense of enjoyment from what we have. It's okay to enjoy what we have, but we were never meant to find our fulfillment in what we have, our contentment in what we have, our peace in what we have, our happiness in what we have. When we chase fulfillment from what we have is when we're chasing identity in what we have and not who we are as a child of God. So let me ask you, lie number one, I am what I do. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, that's probably my number one most vulnerable of those three. I am what I do. Raise your hand if that's you. I am what I do. All right. Good. Thanks for being willing to share that. I am what others think of me. How many? That's number one for you. I am what others think of me. Yeah. Sweet. Good for you. I mean, <laughs> good for you for being willing to raise your <laughs> Do you know your entire church just saw you raise your hand on you care what others think of me? <laughs> And the anxiety is raising up. Okay, and number three, I am uh, what I have. How many of your number one is I am what I have? Okay, less on that one. Okay, interesting. I am what I do. I am what others think of me. I am what I have. Okay, so let's close by doing this um, and you uh, getting involved again. So let's just give some examples of who we know God is. Okay, just give me one word or two words of who we know God is. Go. All-knowing, God is love, God is faithful, God is life, God is hope, God is provider, creator, um, all-powerful. Yep, that's, yep. So, gracious. I am gracious. Okay, so God is gracious. So this, so this is who God is. Now, um, who, when, we, when, we read, when we read our Bible or when we even think of the examples that we just gave of who God is, 
Now just give me some examples of who we are. Who we are. Who we are. Accepted. Loved. Forgiven. Chosen. Child of God. Worthy. In his image. Not worthy. <laughs> worthy and not worthy and not worthy. Anyone else? Anointed. Who we are, who we are, who who God is and who we are. I'm gonna ask um Pastor Lance to come up and I'm gonna ask the musicians uh to come up. Let me just um say this last thing. Um, yeah, you guys, or musicians, you can start to come now. Let me just say this last thing about the book of Ecclesiastes. Another very famous phrase in Ecclesiastes is this. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And again, when I look through the lens of worship is life, when I look at the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes through the lens of worship is life, and then I see the conclusion that the author wrote at the end, Here's what I see. When you try to find your identity in anything or anyone other than God, you eventually discover that everything is meaningless. When you try to find your identity in anyone or anything other than God, eventually you discover everything is meaningless. Because the purpose of life is relationship with God and relationship with others. And this wrestling match with identity lies at the core of the struggle to fulfill that purpose. The purpose of life is to love God and to have Him help us love each other. And when we do, that's when He works through us and grows and spreads and builds his kingdom. This this is this is worship, his life. Well, Pastor Lance is going to receive an offering. We're going to sing "Who You Say I Am" again. This morning's offering will be given to Worship Is Life and <coughs> Ministry of Todd and Brenda Marshall. Continued evangelism to the church. Not a lot of people called to um, be a voice to the local church anymore. So uh, I appreciate that role. It's biblical, pastors, evangelists, administrators. Uh, so there's a gift for that. Um, Todd said that the server last night at Minerva's got a little misty-eyed, and we hadn't been there in a long time, and certainly not in the evening. And when I got the check, I got a little misty-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, but I want to say thank you because kind of you kind of paid for me to go to Minerva's with Todd and Brenda last night. I don't want to be disingenuous. We had a $50 gift card and I thought, well, that'll cover it. And we're taking them out for the church. Church can cover the rest. And I was like, wow, that $50 didn't cover very much of that at all. So uh, so I want to say thank you to you that, that you're a blessing and allowing us to be a blessing to them. And uh, <coughs> may God continue to work through you. And I hope that you view uh, 
I don't, I don't like offerings to be an emotional thing, you know. I want it to be mathematics in your brain, like one plus one equals two. Uh, I give to God my first and best. He gives everything to me. So it should be simple math for people, and it uh, shouldn't matter if it's a good service or not. It should just be like, is the Lord calling you to give? And I, I guess I've been challenged that everything I have is the Lord's. Carl, you see a few receipts I turn in at the church, not many. And yet, uh, I, I remember one of the, I can't remember which speaker it was or which missionary over the last few months I was driving and I was like, uh, well, we got to take him out to lunch. And Joan said, um, are we paying? And I said, does, does it really matter? you like, church card, our card, it's all God's. And in that, right in that moment, the thought came to me from the Lord, like, okay, if they're both, if it's all mine, then just use your card, Lance. And I went. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it ought to be that natural. It, uh, it shouldn't be a struggle. Like, am I trying to get from me, or do I really see it all as God's provision for us? So, Lord, thank you for uh, Todd and Brenda uh, driving down from Minneapolis and spending another uh, weekend with us, bringing a, a fresh word and some things we got to grapple with. And uh, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would kind of cement or seal some of these uh, concepts in our heart and our mind that that we're not caught up uh, evaluating ourselves uh, by lies of the enemy, but we really do see how you've completed us, how you are our everything. And that really, it simplifies. It makes life a little cleaner, a little more clear cut that it's all about you. So today as we give and as we worship and as we walk and we have lunch this afternoon or when we lay down and we stare at the roof of our the sheetrock above our bed would you continue to open our hearts and our minds to the vastness of who you are the not only your creation your creation is everything that we can see in the expanses of the universe are still just like in the palm of your hand that's how huge uh, how mighty how awesome you are and yet you have decided to Take notice of every little thing in our lives. So continue to direct those little things to be one big purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you as you give this morning. Lord, you know the c everything that we consider in our heart and our mind. Thank you, Lord, that you are not restricted to get all these things figured out, mapped out, redirected in this moment. But... May we be able to break free from that religiousness that this is our worship hour and 16 minutes, but that this is uh, maybe a great start to a day filled with worship. May you be, may you reveal to us the worship of, uh, of our 24-7 and weave your spirit and presence into all that we do throughout this day in Jesus' name. And everyone whispered. Amen. God bless you.